0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. I'm your host, Kelly Haywood, and I'm really excited to be in the studio today with Dr. Ellen Hahn. She's a PhD at the University of Kentucky in the College of Nursing, and she's the director of Kentucky Center for Smoke-Free Policy. And also we have in the studio Jean Rosenberg, and she is a community advocate in Floyd County, been in Floyd County 45 years, and she's a former consultant for the Floyd (laughs) County Health Department. Today we are talking about smoke-free policy. And we're talking about this on the local level because we know in Whitesburg we have an ordinance where you must be outside at least, no smoking in government buildings, etc. However, until just recently when you drove to Hazard, there were people still smoking in restaurants. So it could be really shocking sometimes. And I could imagine for someone who is a smoker, confusing at times (laughs) as when you can smoke and when you can't. But let's just begin to talk about why such an initiative and why address it on the local level.
1: Thank you, Kelly. I'm really happy to be here today. I appreciate the invitation. I love to come to Whitesburg. I grew up in a place very much like this in Pennsylvania, a very small town in the Appalachian Mountains, so I always feel like i kind of coming home. And so the reason that smoke-free policy is such a big bang for your buck, if you will, is because it changes the culture of expectation in a community. As you mentioned, if you go into a restaurant or you work More importantly, you work in a restaurant where it's always smoke-free and that people are not allowed to smoke inside. You don't even have to think about breathing clean air. Or about trying to protect your health. So these policies protect people from a very dangerous killer that we sometimes don't even think about. It's secondhand smoke. And so if you're not smoking, if you're not a smoker, and most people in the mountains are not smokers, the overwhelming majority of people who live in this region do not smoke, even though some people think that everyone smokes. That's not true. Really, the overwhelming majority don't. But if you are not a smoker, but yet you work in a place where smoking is allowed, you essentially become a secondhand smoker. And so you are as much at risk of developing heart disease and cancer and emphysema and allergies, and the list goes on and on and on. Tobacco smoke is a dangerous killer, and it's no longer any debate about that. So there are very common sense things that communities can do, that elected officials can do for us, and that we can do in our small towns to make it safer for us and our children and our grandchildren and our loved ones.
0: I personally have never been a smoker. I feel very fortunate because a lot of my friends that I went to school with ended up being smokers. My parents both smoked but have both quit, which is fabulous. Yes, successfully quit. And I feel very fortunate about that. But I remember all through my life being knocked out of certain things because of the environment not being smoke-free. I can remember several times in my early 20s when I would go to a concert and the venue would be so filled with smoke that my eyes would water and I would have to spend the concert in the bathroom because I couldn't stand to be in the area with the smoke.
2: You can just imagine what it's like for a mother who has children with allergies uh and not being able to participate. When we started getting the attitude in Prestonsburg, where we primarily started our smoke-free initiative, there were moms who had kids who they just literally couldn't take to a restaurant or to the funeral home, believe it or not, because people smoked so in the funeral home they just... Couldn't take their kids in with them. To me, that was a tremendous tragedy.
0: And I think, too, we have to consider what it is doing to people who are living in our home who also may not be smokers. My grandmother's mother was a heavy smoker, and my grandmother never smoked. And now she has COPD. Oh. And she's wondering why. Why do I have? I didn't do anything. But she did live in a house with a smoker. And I know that. Our information about exactly what secondhand smoke does has changed. We know more. I've also heard that if you are a smoker, that you're not getting as much chemical as someone who's breathing the smoke secondhand. Well, actually,
1: that's an interesting concept. It's dangerous either way, but secondhand smoke is actually both mainstream and sidestream smoke. Your listeners may not realize, but when you're breathing somebody's secondhand smoke, it's the smoke that's coming out of the burning end of the cigarette or the cigar or the e-cigarette, but it's also what the smoker is exhaling, which is, if you think about it, not very pleasant. So you're breathing in the exhaled smoke, that's coming out of their lungs, plus you're breathing the smoke that's coming out of the end of the electronic cigarette or the conventional cigarette or the cigar, the pipe, the hookah. They're both dangerous, but secondhand smoke, particularly with cigars, if you think about a cigar, it's not only the tobacco inside the cigar, but it's the tobacco wrap on the outside of the cigar, so that when you burn that, you're getting three to four times the secondhand smoke concentration that you would be getting out of a conventional cigarette. Mm. That's interesting. So
0: maybe we should talk about now why we need to address this as a community on the local level. We have recommendations all the way up to the federal government putting the Surgeon General's warning on cigarettes, but why the intense focus in our localities?
1: well smoke free policy is actually an economic driver and in an, a region of the country where jobs and the economy are such an important issue for everybody who live in a rural community or any community i would argue you may not realize it but smoke free policy will save money in many ways number 1 it saves money to the healthcare industry to the healthcare costs You might be a healthy person listening to this show thinking, well, how do I, you know, I don't smoke, but you pay taxes and those taxes go to pay for people who are sick from smoking and from secondhand smoke. So when a community passes a smoke-free policy, meaning they don't allow smoking inside workplaces and public places, we've been able to document that communities save millions of dollars. When Lexington went smoke-free, for example, in 2004, we were able to document that we saved the city and the county $21 million a year, per year, $21 million per year in healthcare costs because we saw a dramatic reduction in smoking. Smoke-free policy not only, number one, saves communities and employers and governments and everybody who cares and pays your bills and your taxes. It saves society money, but it also improves the workforce because if you think about it, people who are not sick can contribute to our economy by being able, bodied enough to work or to contribute in many ways to the community so we keep people alive longer we reduce early death and the third way that it really is an economic driver is that it promotes tourism again in the mountains where lovely environment people want a common vacation here but if they go out to a smoky restaurant they may not be back so smoke-free policy changes dramatically the environment and it's an economic driver. 87% of tourists want to be in a smoke-free environment. And I guess the other piece of this from an economic perspective is that businesses want to move to a place where there are healthy people who can be workers and they also want to move to a place that is smoke-free. So it's really An economic driver in many many ways so I think that's really one of the reasons why local communities should take it up and it's a big reason why and the other thing is I grew up in a small town I know that people who live in small towns and in areas that are not as heavily populated don't necessarily want the state or the federal government coming and telling us what to do by talking to your mayor talking to your county judge talking to your city council members and saying, will you do this for us? We want to have a healthy workforce. <laughs> we want to be able to go pay our bills at the courthouse or go pick up our food stamps or we want to be able to go out and shop in a grocery or go to the funeral home and grieve for somebody who, who died. Then do that for us. So to me, it's really on many levels. Not only does it save lives, but it saves money.
0: I imagine thinking of it, in a similar way as alcohol. We know that using alcohol can be potentially dangerous and cause a lot of health problems. However, it is a legal substance in the U.S. like tobacco. I have never been a consumer of alcohol, but many of my peers have. And we follow certain rules like it's a given. Over the age of 21, don't drink and drive. Try not to overconsume. <laughs> or overindulge. And that we consider if you're of the age to be able to make responsible decisions with that. You wouldn't force someone else to drink alcohol. Then we consider you to be a responsible consumer of that product. And most of the people that I've talked to who are advocates for smoke-free environments aren't saying to ban tobacco or to tell grown adults not to use the product just like we don't with alcohol is that a correct assumption should we think of it that way
1: right we're trying to minimize the harm from the product with smoke free we're not telling people they can't smoke we're only saying go outside go 20 to 25 feet from the door so that those of us who don't smoke those of us who work primarily and that's the real issue it's really protecting people at work and we're trying to minimize the harm, just like with drunk driving laws. You know, you may drink, but don't get behind the wheel. It's like you may smoke, but you can't
2: smoke inside where other people are and where you could hurt them. When you were saying there are places where we act responsibly, one of the things that came up when we were trying to get an ordinance passed in Prestonsburg was the fact that nobody smokes in church. Why? Because everybody in church expects you not to smoke. And it makes a difference. I mean, that's a a local decision that people have made. And now that we have a comprehensive ordinance, we're finding that in Floyd County many times people just automatically don't light up when they're in a workplace or in a restaurant because they've gotten used to smoking outside. So I think it makes a big difference when it comes from a local decision, culturally and in every way. Well, and the
1: other thing we hear sometimes is that, well, just let the business owners do it voluntarily. If You know, why do we have to pass a law? Well, for exactly this reason is that individuals may make the decision, business owners, but we hear time and time again that they would feel better if there were an even playing field so that if the government decides the local government, the mayor, the county judge, your neighbors who are making rules for your community, if they decide, then we're all playing by the same rules. We hear that in Hazard now, is that people who were working in the restaurants there will say, oh, well, we didn't have to make that decision. The city did it. And it's kind of like a relief, actually, for business owners. They like that because, after all, the Kentucky Supreme Court already decided that it's the manifest duty of local government to protect the welfare. That's what they do. That's why we elect people into those positions, actually, is to protect us, to do things like this. This is a perfect example of something that's totally legal, totally according to our Constitution, for a a mayor or a city council or a fiscal court to pass an ordinance that would restrict smoking in public places and workplaces.
0: We talked about smoke-free policy being an economic driver.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: One of the things when these ordinances first started being talked about and established that I heard quite often from business owners was that they would lose the business of smokers. How has that played out in places that have an ordinance?
1: Actually, it's totally opposite of what they thought. And people were (laughs) afraid. You know, then Jean heard it too in Prestonsburg. And we have 43 communities now that have passed some sort of ordinance. And 25 of those 43 are good, strong, comprehensive laws that protect everyone. And we have found time and time again, and we've done about seven or eight studies now, asking that same question because invariably we'll hear people say, oh, man, going to put me out of business that is not true we have not been ever able to find that it doesn't matter if the community is rural it doesn't matter if the community is louisville or lexington it really doesn't matter when you pass a smoke-free ordinance life goes on people still spend money they still go to their hangouts where they typically would go it doesn't matter if it's a bar it doesn't matter if it's a restaurant it doesn't matter we have data on bingo Because most people don't smoke. I go back to that. Most people don't smoke. Even in the mountains, most people don't. It's more than 70% don't smoke. Yeah, right. In Kentucky, we're at about 26 or 27% who smoke. That means that the vast majority, 75%, don't. And it's true in the mountains as well. Now, there are pockets where you know, more people smoke than others, but by and large, people don't. So when places go smoke-free, what they find is people that they've never seen before will come in because now they can breathe. You know, as you know, a lot of people in the mountains have allergy. They have asthma, like I have. I have very severe asthma. And people with emphysema, we have very high rates of emphysema, they can't tolerate going into a place that's smoky. So when things clear out, when the smoke clears and they can actually go to places, it's amazing. But economically, individual bars, restaurants, workplaces, nobody's suffering. In fact, in Lexington, we found an increase in employment in those places, in restaurants and bars, about a 3% bump up in employment which is a proxy for revenue Mm -hmm. in the restaurants and bars so there's no evidence whatsoever that businesses suffer from smoke-free policy
0: i think about my dad he quit smoking when i was still quite small and when i was about 12 years old he was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease it's called sarcoidosis and if he is around smoke at all he gets sick it triggers a headache and he gets sick and so now he gets very irate yeah. when he's in a place where someone is smoking. And he tries to call them out on it. I probably wouldn't do it the way he does, but it restricts where he can go and it restricts what he can do comfortably. And we keep our alcohol consumption to certain locations, to certain levels when we're in public. Why don't we think that there's such a pushback? On treating smoking the same way, because I do hear a lot of people say, "I'm an adult and nobody can tell me what to do. I can consume this wherever. If you don't like it, leave." So why do we hear those kinds of things around tobacco and not so much around alcohol anymore?
1: Great question. Two answers. One is tobacco is still a sacred cow in Kentucky because we still are one of the national leaders in growing tobacco, and so we still have that history of this pro-tobacco attitude in Kentucky. But the other answer is that the very powerful tobacco industry has been behind the scenes for 50 years or more. And they market their product very skillfully. They spend a lot of money promoting their product in a way that kind of fuels this self-reliance and right to smoke and Macho image and selling sex, if you will, and they're very good at it. They have a lot of money because they've been selling these very highly addictive products for many, many years. And it's so insidious that sometimes we don't even realize it. If you go in to pay for your gasoline, instead of paying at the pump, you walk in and buy your gas and pick up some chewing gum or whatever, you may not even realize how skillful the tobacco industry is at marketing and promotion right at the pump or right at the cash register. Next time you go pay for your gum or whatever you're buying, look around and look at the messages that are actually right at the eye level of many children. It's no mistake actually that tobacco has this view, this sacred cow view that it's okay or that they have a right to smoke. The reality is this is a Severe public health issue, tobacco is the single most preventable cause of death in the world, we know that. We spend over $2 billion in our state just taking care of sick people from smoking. That's $2 billion a year. And that's a lot of money that we could be spending on creating jobs, educating our children. So I think we forget because it's so insidious and it's been there for 50 years. So we have got these laws go back, go back to smoke-free policy and why I'm so passionate about it is because we can change that. We can change that expectation and all that money that the tobacco industry keeps pouring in to our communities. And I always talk about it as David and Goliath, you know, they have so much money and we're not going to change that, but we can change where we allow people to smoke in our communities. All we're saying is that on 99% of the land mass In this city, you can smoke. You just can't smoke in the 1% inside where you're harming other people. So to me, it's kind of a common sense thing, but it does, it creates uh, this dissonance, and it's no mistake.
2: We don't realize, and now with e-cigarettes, just looking at the flavors of e-cigarettes, you know that the same people that marketed cigarettes for adolescents are doing it again with a new uh, delivery system in e-cigarettes
0: e-cigarettes concern me a great deal i have people that i know who are in that business who say that it is not harmful that they're getting the nicotine that they need but without any of the effects and i just smell the smell that comes from those and i think that is a totally synthetic smell And I wonder what chemical is creating that smell that they're taking into their lungs. To me, it's like common sense, that there's no way that that can be completely harmless.
1: That's correct. And actually, the FDA has now taken control, if you will, in regulating these products, e-cigarettes and hookah and cigars and electronic smoking devices, because they change every day. They're very high-tech. What people don't realize is two things. One is they give out a lot of small particles. That may not mean anything to you, but if you have asthma, if you have emphysema, if you have heart disease, if you have any kind of lung condition, if you breathe in those millions and millions of particles that come out of those things, you are at risk of heart disease and emphysema and pulmonary disease. But the other thing is there's this thing called propylene glycol in there. And you might think, well, what's that? It's actually in our cosmetics and our hairspray and our things that we put on our face. It's even in cough medicine. I mean, it's okay to drink that stuff, but it's not okay to breathe that stuff. The reason it's in there is it's a transporter. It takes the nicotine directly to the brain. There's lots of concern about propylene glycol, and there's other chemicals in that. So it's not water vapor, it is harmful. And there is concern about it. And the other piece, if people are using them thinking that it's going to help them quit conventional cigarettes, e-cigarette users are three times less likely to quit compared to conventional cigarettes. And most people who are using those e-cigarettes are what we call dual users. They're using both e-cigarettes and conventional cigarettes. I would encourage your listeners to just get more information, ask questions. The retailers aren't necessarily giving the full story.
2: People tell me all the time it's just water vapor, and my response is, no, it's not water vapor, it's aerosol. So just every time you you think it's harmless, you'll find that we're learning more and more that it's not harmless at all. And these particles and these chemicals are really dangerous for us.
0: You mentioned hairspray, and I'm glad you did because I think this is probably a good comparison, the propylene glycol and the hairspray. Hairspray companies are now fixing their bottles so that the particles that come out are too big to be taken directly into the lungs because of that very reason, that it contains chemicals like that. And I've been myself really conscious about buying hairsprays that are functioned like that. If those types of industries are doing it, we know that it's going to have to come down the line eventually where that would be regulated.
1: And so let me just say with e-cigarettes, we are encouraging communities to include electronic smoking devices in their smoke-free policies. And Letcher County, for example, the fiscal court, when they pass their smoke-free ordinance years ago now, that was way before we even knew about e-cigarettes. For example, the Letcher County ordinance could include, if they so decided, electronic smoking devices like other communities. We have, I think, 13 now that cover 13 of our 43 Smoke-free ordinances in Kentucky do include or cover electronic cigarettes. And Prestonsburg could do the same thing yeah. if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah. We're, because talking about that. We're talking about that, today. They also passed their law way before electronic cigarettes kind of came on the scene in 2007.
0: Let's talk just a little bit about advertising again. When I was a child, I remember Joe Camel for Camel Cigarettes, I remember Virginia Slims because they were super skinny and all the ads were women. And I also remember the Marlboro Man. A lot of that kind of advertising seems to be gone. And most of us are well aware of the health risk of smoking at this point. And we've seen a reduction in smokers. What about smoking do you think appeals? Now, do you think that advertising is outlasting, it's fading away, or do you think it's going to be generations before we see people completely choose not to smoke?
1: Well, you know, nationally, Kelly, the smoking rates have gone down dramatically nationally. If you just look at the charts, you'll see. We've taken a nosedive, and in the country, we're at about 18 19% smokers in the rest of the country. Unfortunately, we have the dubious honor in Kentucky and in West Virginia of having the highest smoking rates in the country, and in particular Appalachia. But I would say it really cuts across socioeconomic, though, if you look at Kentucky. Even though people at the lower levels of education and income still tend to smoke more, we still see a very high rate of smoking in our state. And it's because of these lenient policies, you know, if people can smoke everywhere, grocery stores, you know, just about everywhere, the message that sends to everyone is that it's okay. So smoke-free policy kind of changes that expectation. We have very low prices comparatively to the rest of the country. Our tobacco taxes are very low. I think we're the fourth lowest in the nation at 60 cents a pack. That's a decision for Frankfurt politicians to make, but as we look at tax reform, which I know I think there's talk about looking at tax reform, it's a great way of making more revenue, and it's also, from a public health standpoint, it is a disincentive for smokers. If it costs a lot, they're not going to likely use it. And that needs to include smokeless tobacco e-cigarettes are not taxed right now they need to be so price is one of the reasons we see more people smoking and they will continue in kentucky until we do something about our tobacco tax till we are ready to make our environment smoke-free till we make sure that everyone has access to tobacco treatment that's evidence-based you know what that means is that it's easy to get nicotine replacement and other medicines to help you quit. You know, this is a severe addiction and I don't think people realize how most people who smoke and use tobacco wanna quit. It's just that they don't have the help, they don't have the support, they don't have the money to be paying for the medication to help them quit. And that, to me, is awful. And we need to help people do that. And then the fourth thing, as you mentioned, is really advertising. Because of e-cigarettes now, there has not been regulation on advertising. You know, the reason we haven't seen Joe Camel in the Marlboro Man is because in 2000, there was an agreement between the tobacco companies and the uh, attorneys general, and they decided that we got to take all that away, you know, because advertising is not what we need. But let me tell you, the tobacco industry didn't stop. They've been advertising in other ways. They may not be in the magazines, but they are online, and you've heard them on the radio. The vapor shops are advertising because they can. Yes, we've seen a decline, but it's kind of leveled off, actually. In the last eight, nine years, tobacco use in the country has kind of leveled off. I think we have to keep at it. We have to keep doing everything we can to make it
2: easier not to pick it up. And there are things like uh, the quit line, that mm-hmm. the state sponsors, yeah. where you can use the telephone. You don't have to go to a health department location or another location. You can simply dial 1-800-QUIT-NOW, and you will be in touch with somebody who can tell you about resources, who can help coach you. Weaning yourself off this is a very addictive product. I mean, cigarette smoking has been likened unto a uh, heroin addiction. People don't appreciate how difficult it is to stop once you're hooked. Right, and smoke-free policies get
1: us actually change again. It makes it easier for somebody who's a smoker in a smoke-free community to put it down. That's another advantage. It's one of those unintended consequences of taking smoking out of workplaces and public places is that people tell me all the time, and we see it in the statistics as well, is that if you can't sit at your desk or be on the line in a manufacturing facility and smoke, you have to go outside during your break. You're not going to smoke as much, and it's going to be easier for you to quit. These policies actually make it easier for people to quit.
0: I think of my sister as an example here. She's a nurse and newly a smoker again. Every pregnancy, she was motivated and she quit and would be a smoke-free for years. But if we had a close family member to us pass away, it was usually at the funeral home, at their services, where she picked it back up because other people were. And she was stressed. And that is one way she copes with stress. So the interruption that quitting would cause to that flow, that less stressful flow, is one of the restrictions that she sees. But I just think if there had been a smoke-free policy, would she had ever picked it back up to begin with?
1: Maybe not.
0: Maybe not.
1: Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, you know... Nicotine's a really cunning drug. People don't think about smoking as a drug, but it is. Nicotine is the drug in a tobacco product, and it's cunning because it both is a stimulant, it gets you revved up, but it also depresses you. So it's both a stimulant and a depressant. That's one of the reasons it's so hard to quit and why maybe your sister has relapsed occasionally, because you mentioned this depression, but the ironic thing is that smokers who complain of depression and anxiety and stress say that after they quit, they actually can handle that better. So again, it's real, it's definitely real. If you're a smoker, you feel that stress, you feel that anxiety, and you do get relief when you smoke because it's that drug. But if you can get through the quitting process with help, And then most people who are smokers have been for many years and they smoke a lot and they probably need more than just cold turkey. They need a medication and they need somebody to talk to. And if they can get
2: the help they need. To uh, reprogram their habits. I mean, that's another whole thing. Whereas you become accustomed to doing certain things in a certain order. A lot of times reprogramming that whether it be smoking or eating or whatever, we all need a lot of times a lot of reinforcement and a lot of support. And most people don't realize that their Medicaid will cover help. They will cover
1: medication. It will cover counseling. But a lot of times there's too many barriers in the way. And we're working with people in Frankfurt to try to get a law that would make cessation quitting easier for everybody. It shouldn't be so difficult. We need to put assistance in place where people can get help if they need it and want it. And most people do want it.
0: The U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of West Virginia announced Friday that they had arrested an individual tied to a rash of unintentional opioid overdoses earlier this month in Huntington. Erin Payne reports for the Ohio Valley Resource that similar incidents have occurred this month across the region, and officials say a substance showing up in toxicology reports may be partly to blame.
3: 22-year-old Bruce Lamar Griggs of Akron, Ohio, was arrested and charged with distribution of heroin. Authorities say the investigation into Griggs began the night of August 15th, the same night first responders scrambled across Cabell County on 26 overdose calls in a four-hour time frame. Huntington Police Chief Joe Cicerelli said in a press conference after the event the epidemic is spreading his forces thin. This takes place every day creates a huge drain on our public safety resources. Yesterday pushed it to the max, but we all deal with this every day. The use of the opioid reversal medication naloxone and manual resuscitators called bag valve masks saved most lives. Two overdoses later on resulted in fatalities. Though Griggs, an accused distributor in Huntington, is off the streets, it appears he is only a part of a recent rash of overdoses across the region. First responders in Cincinnati were dispatched to 30 overdoses on August 22nd, and then 33 more over the next three days. Three people died. Officials in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, reported 12 overdoses during the night of August 24th with one fatality. Investigators are unsure if the incidents are directly related, but there is suspicion that the powerful synthetic opioids fentanyl, and carfentanil produced outside of the country may be involved. Chief Cicirelli says, however, that the use is more concerning than the substance. There's no such thing as bad heroin or good heroin. It's all deadly. Officials are urging those suffering from addiction to seek help, especially with the strength of the drugs seemingly on the rise. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Erin Payne in Athens, Ohio.
0: Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT. You're listening to Mountain Talk Monday, and this is Kelly Haywood, your host, and I'm here with Dr. Ellen Hahn, who is a Ph.D. at the University of Kentucky in the College of Nursing, and she's the director of the Kentucky Center for Smoke-Free Policy, and I'm with Jean Rosenberg. She's a Floyd County resident and a community advocate for smoke-free policy, and she's a former consultant with the Floyd County Health Department. And we've been talking about what it means to be a local advocate for smoke-free policy and the various things that we may not always talk about in relation to smoking. We all at this point should know that smoking has no health benefit and it is very harmful. Yet we still make the decision to smoke. I interviewed a couple who are addicts they're both in recovery and when you talk to someone who is a former narcotics addict they never look at it as former they'll always say i am an addict in recovery this couple has been clean for five years but they still identify as an addict in recovery and when you were talking about smoking being related to the addictive power of heroin use, I think of my mother who will sometimes still say, if she smells a cigarette or if she is stressed or after eating, she's like, oh, you know, this is when I would smoke. Or smelling that makes me mm-hmm. wonder what it would taste like
1: mm-hmm.
0: or if it would taste as good as I remember. But she never has given in to that. It's been, since I was in my early 20s, it's been almost 20 years that she's not smoked.
1: It's a powerful addiction. I think of my mother who quit when she was 40. And, you know, if you quit when you're 40-ish, 45, you are probably going to live as long as a non-smoker. So quit early and often, you know. <laughs> but but one of the things, she died in her 90s, so probably 30 years after she quit. I found a cigarette in her freezer. I was cleaning out her freezer, and I found one cigarette. I said, "Mom, what is this?" She goes, "It's just. It was just there, you know, in case, had <laughs> a bad day. You know, she never did, but I think it's just testament to how powerful nicotine is. So the message obviously is don't start. Be, and most people do start when they're kids. You know, the eighty-five to ninety percent of the smokers today started before they were eighteen, and of course that is getting higher now because of the master settlement agreement where they put restrictions on advertising. And so people are starting to start a little bit older, you know, like 1920 or when they go to college. But regardless of when you start, it is a powerful drug. The mountain of addiction is high and maybe not so high in the beginning because you can get hooked pretty fast and you can get hooked by using an e-cigarette. You know a teenager might think oh this isn't that bad you know i'll just try one of these fancy products these electronic cigarettes but we're finding in the studies that when children pick up an e-cigarette maybe in ninth grade or eighth grade you know by 11th or 12th grade they're using conventional cigarettes it is a gateway it is hooking them because they're not getting enough nicotine by that product so they go to the next level Tobacco is a substance, and it is abused. It is substance abuse. So tobacco is one of the drugs that we struggle with. But again, smoke-free policies can really reverse that. It can really be a prompt for people to quit and not start. In a lot of states and locales that have smoke-free policy, they've been able to show that youth just don't initiate cigarettes because they don't see it as normal everywhere.
0: That's one of the things that I've noticed with my daughters now, if we're out at a park or we're out somewhere where someone is smoking, they will look at them, Mommy, they're smoking.
1: They're <laughs> That's smoking. True.
0: Why are they smoking? Do they know it's bad for them? As a kid, smoking was just normal every day for me. Right. So I have seen in just a generation's time what kind of change that we've made.
1: Well, in these policies, what elected officials will tell you, mayors, and city commissioners and city council members who've told me, Georgetown, Kentucky is a good example. They passed this law several years ago. And the way they describe it is they feel like it was an investment. They've invested in the future. They've created this legacy for generations to come. He would look at his grandchild because he didn't think this was a good thing. And initially, the mayor, to pass this thing. He said, oh, you know, this isn't up to me to do But after he looked at his grandchildren and he looked at his children and he thought about his own legacy as a mayor, he thought, man, you know, I can really make a difference for the future generations. And so back to the economic driver, you know, I think smoke-free is an economic driver, but it's also an investment in our future. I think it changes our health and our lives and quality of life for our children.
0: I think even if we are smokers we should change the way we think about our smoking to remember that it is not harmless. It was about 7th or 8th grade when a lot of my friends and myself tried smoking for the first time. And the way most of them did that was from their parents' ashtray.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: Yes,
2: I've heard that too.
0: Trying just to see, why does mom and dad do this? What's it like? Just curiosity. And kids are curious, and they should be. But we've got to think, what kind of examples are we giving for normal behavior? And then a lot of parents didn't restrict their child's smoking when they were teens because they smoked and they felt hypocritical about it. If I restrict their smoking, then what am I saying about myself? So again, I think that speaks to the Mm -hmm. addictive power.
1: Well, and and let's face it, parents are role models for their kids. And again, it's not a blaming, I'm not saying this to blame people who are awfully addicted to this product, but I think if you think about it, tobacco dependence runs in families, it does. And so if you want to give your children a gift, get help and don't try to do it on your own because tobacco products are not the way they were 50 years ago when my mother smoked. They're more addictive. They put more nicotine in those. The tobacco industry has engineered these products to be highly addictive. Guess why? Because they want to sell them and they want to make money. If you are a smoker and you want to give your child a gift, ask for help. And it'll probably take both medication, whether it be nicotine patch or nicotine gum, that you can get paid for by Medicaid. And most insurance companies will help you if you ask and you're persistent but also, get on the telephone and call the free quit line number, the 1-800-QUIT-NOW. And you can call almost, almost every hour of the day. They'll pick up, and it is free. So talk to somebody. Get help. You might have to take medication, but you can quit. There are plenty of people that have. And talk to your mayor and talk to your county judge about going smoke-free.
0: And again, that number is 1-800-QUIT-NOW and give them a call, it's free, and it can be the first step towards laying down smoking. Let's talk a minute about shame, because I know a lot of us get defensive when we feel shame, and sometimes I think that's where some of the defensiveness around this topic comes from. A lot of people get the idea, well, they think they're holier than thou, or why are they picking on me? And I don't, well I know that that's not the goal of these initiatives is to shame. There's a lot of stigma around addiction in our communities, especially right now. And if we start equating the use of nicotine with other drugs, even though it's very powerful and addictive just like those drugs, there's going to be another underlying level of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, because addiction is something that right now we desperately need to talk about, but we're having a hard time doing it.
1: Right. In regard to tobacco, Kelly, I think it's really important to say that the policies, when you restrict smoking, it's about the smoke. It's not about the smoker. That's really important distinction to make. Unfortunately, the unintended consequence of those policies has made smokers feel less than And shameful. And that is, like you said, not the point. It's not been the intention at all. But I think we do need to talk about those policies. The purpose of them is only to reduce the smoke that we're breathing kind of as a consequence of the smoker. But it's the smoke. It's not the smoker. And I think communities that pass smoke-free laws have to be sensitive to that. And they have to provide Support for those who want to quit and not make them feel like they are second class citizens because that's not the idea. But I think it is important to talk about it as an addiction because that's what it is. And actually, it's a chronic disease. People don't realize that. But if they have a diabetic, for example, somebody with sugar, that's a chronic disease that needs managing, right? You're never going to cure it. And similar with addiction, like you mentioned before, if you have addiction, it's a disease you're not a bad person, you're probably a great person, but you have a disease and you need help, you'll probably always have it, you gotta manage it, but there is help for you. And so I think we just have to change the conversation a little bit and be sensitive and caring. Unfortunately, people do get really annoyed when people are smoking. They need to step back and say, okay, this is an addiction right? And this is a good person. Just because they're smoking doesn't mean they're a bad person at all. Um, they have a chronic
0: disease. And it likely wasn't their fault that they became addicted in the first place.
2: Absolutely. But you know, when you're smoking, <laughs> yeah, you're not thinking about the fact that I may be giving you a headache and that I may be causing you to gasp and wheeze. You know, it's just a really hard connection to make. Although we know that secondhand smoke in fact, really does affect people in so many ways. It's that whole idea that I'm not pushing it on you. You can move somewhere else. But certainly for many, many, particularly entry-level jobs, you have no control over your boss's policies about smoking or not smoking. And many times you're forced to choose between your health and a paycheck. And I think that's something also you have to keep in mind when you're the smoker, that in fact and in truth, your employee can't necessarily get another job, walk away. It's very important that they have an, a safe environment to work in.
0: I want to ask you in Floyd County, what has been the progression of the community when these ordinance were first enacted and now? What's the support been of the government and the community members?
2: Initially, the city council was listened to us. We went to them and talked about secondhand smoke. We talked about what we wanted to see in our community. We even had a 13-year-old who attached himself to our coalition and came to the city council meetings and said, I want to live in Prestonsburg all my life, and I want an environment where I can be proud of people coming here, not saying... Again, adding to the negative stigma of Eastern Kentucky, but in fact, because, of course, most of us in uh, 2007 and on, we'd been in environments where it was smoke-free. So we talked to them, and the opposition came, and they said, hey, we'll lose bingo money. We did our research, and we found out other places had smoke-free ordinances, and they didn't lose bingo money over time. The city council, it made sense to them. Plus, we also had a couple of council members who had health issues, both allergies and heart issues. When your health is on the line, you're very much more likely to uh, listen very closely to the arguments being made. So after it passed, there was very little opposition. I would go regularly to the mayor's office and say, are you having to do enforcement you know that was another big thing. Oh, how will we ever enforce it? Well, it's it's self-enforcing. The community wanted it to happen; it happened. Yeah, these are very popular laws. We have data on
1: that every year. The Foundation for Health of Kentucky surveys Kentuckians, and they say the same thing every year: We like these things. Yeah. So, you know, there's really no reason why a mayor or a county judge or a magistrate should fear. Push back. I mean, there may be a few people who don't want it, but is learned in Prestonsburg. You know, it's really not even an issue. Once it goes into effect, people say, wow, what were we worried about? Yeah. Yeah, nobody's losing business. Nobody's mad. There's a Dairy Queen owner in Georgetown that was really upset and went to the city council and said he'd have to close. And everyone, you know, would leave and never come back and um, now you talk to him and he's like man business is booming never done better it's just unfounded fear
2: well I it was pretty funny in Prestonsburg because the opposition to the ordinance was from people that we really cared about like the folks who worked on the animal shelter and they got their money through bingo and they thought they would lose revenue really the studies show if you go to gamble you You can always step outside to smoke, but you're going to gamble. And that's a whole other story. But, you know, I mean, it didn't work out. They're still making their money.
0: And bingo can be fun, too. And that's one of the reasons I never, my aunt would play. And I rarely went with her because, again, like the concert in the bingo hall, my eyes would just swell and get red. And even though I enjoyed playing with her, especially when the money went to a good cause, like the animal shelter. The nice
1: thing about the Prestonsburg law is that it covers everyone. You know, it doesn't really leave anybody out. Some communities have decided, well, we'll do a carve out for this group or this business. Mm, You know, doesn't want it, so we'll carve. And when that happens, we don't see the economic savings. We don't see the big health benefits, which I really haven't talked about yet. We did a big study showing that it keeps people out of the hospital, people with emphysema. If they live in a community like Prestonsburg that has a good, strong, smoke-free law, every workplace, everywhere you go, whether it be public or workplace, is covered and people can't smoke inside. When you have a community like Prestonsburg, you find that people don't go to the hospital as much people with emphysema. Now, if you're in a community where there are carve-outs and everybody is not protected, you don't see those same benefits. I always talk about it as a dose. Like if your doctor gives you medicine and says, Kelly, take two of these every day, and you only take one, well, it's probably not going to hurt you, but it's probably not going to help you, right? It's similar with smoke-free laws. If you have a good, strong one where everybody's treated the same, they're going to have those benefits you know economic and health but if you're in a community where there's these carve outs for certain people you don't get the same benefits
2: so and you also don't get the same cultural and social Shift. expectation that it's going to be smoke free where you don't have to worry that you're picked the wrong <laughs> lawyer or that you pick the wrong Business. restaurant that kind of thing you know right so it kind of levels that playing field so and you
1: don't have to think and and it's easier to enforce right because it's like oh well we don't do that here and then if somebody's doing it inside a building you go oh well you must be violating whereas if you have carve outs for your company whatever that is i go in there and i'm confused it's like oh i thought we were smoke free you want the best for your community i think everybody wants the best for their community and so That kind of law is is really what we should strive for.
0: I used to be an advocate for pregnant mothers and their babies and birth. And one of the things I learned through that was that Kentucky has, especially eastern Kentucky, has the highest rate of smoking mothers in the nation. We also have some of the highest rates of preterm birth. Those things are correlated. Yes,
1: they are. And if you take that one step further, the smoke affects it the same way. So if you are a non-smoker, but you're pregnant, but you work in a smoky place, you're still exposing your baby to the same tobacco smoke. And preterm birth is associated with secondhand smoke exposure. So don't think, if you're a non-smoker, then you should ask, am I exposed to smoke at home or in my car or in my workplace or wherever, then that's harming your baby too. So smoke-free policies actually protect pregnant women who are working, it, just like they would protect everyone. I always say smoke-free policies are kind of an equal opportunity protector, if you will, because if you do it right, like Prestonsburg did, to cover everyone, then the pregnant women, the older people, the young people, you know,
2: everyone's protected, the babies in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that is usually a very teachable moment for any woman who is pregnant. You'll do anything to protect your baby, especially if people help you connect the dots between smoking and preterm birth and low birth weight babies and all the problems that they can have respiratorily and their survival rate even. And
1: I would just put in a plug for smoke-free homes. If you're listening to this and you think, well, I can't control what my city council's going to do. But, you know, you can control your house where you live, hopefully. And you can decide to put a sticker up in your door and to be smoke-free in your home and in your car. And really what that means is asking people to go 20 to 25 feet away from the doors, the windows, the vents. Because if people are on your porch and you're walking in and out of that door or you have your window open, the smoke still gets in the house. And if your baby, if you are a smoker or you loved one or significant other is a smoker and you have a baby or a small child and they want to go smoke, have them put a jacket over their clothes, walk 20 to 25 feet away, smoke come back, take that jacket off before they hold that baby. I mean, there are ways of reducing exposure to secondhand smoke, lots of ways.
2: That's Everybody has power to do that. That's interesting you bring that up, Ellen, because you have firsthand smoke when a person is smoking the cigarette. Uh-huh. Secondhand smoke or side stream stroke smoke is is secondhand smoke. Thirdhand smoke are the particles from the cigarette smoke that fall on your clothes And on your upholstery, and we all know that kids have a tendency when they learn to walk, to be creeping and using the couch to balance themselves, and then they put their hands in their mouths. They're getting those particulates. And then fourth-hand smoke is literally what's absorbed by your drywall in your house if you have a smoking environment. So you really are creating a mini (laughs) health problem. You never think about that. So fourth-hand smoke, who knew
0: Right. I want to give, again, the number of the hotline. You can call 1-800-QUIT-NOW, and that will be a first step for you in putting down the cigarettes, if that is your choice. And I want to ask, what are some other ways that the community can get connected to the advocacy around these policies?
1: At UK, University of Kentucky, we have the Kentucky Center for Smoke-Free Policy. We've been in existence for 12 years now, and we are kind of a value-added resource. We have a clearinghouse. We have a lot of things on our website. You can go to breathe.uky.edu. So it's breathe, B-R-E-A-T-H-E dot U-K-Y, dot E-D-U. And we have a whole tab on tobacco policy. We've got a lot of fact sheets. You can contact us if you want to figure out how to get a coalition started. You can certainly call your health department. However, some health departments are doing other things right now and aren't really involved as involved in smoke-free policy for a variety of reasons. There is help. There are 43 communities that have done this. There are 25 that have done it right. Prestonsburg is one of them. Manchester is one of them. They've passed strong smoke-free laws. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. We're there for you, and you can certainly get involved.
2: Yeah, and I would say that one of the things that we did do in Prestonsburg when we first got started was we were in constant touch with the Center for Smoke-Free Policy at UK, and they always had information that we were interested in. They were certainly ready to try and find out if they didn't know, and that was very helpful for the group, because then we had facts-based information to share with our policymakers, and that was very important.
1: You might find other people that agree with you. If you are passionate about this issue, I bet there's three or four other people that you can find that are passionate about this issue in your community. It's hard work, but it's very rewarding because if you can leave, again, the legacy in your community for your children and your grandchildren and their children, what a better thing to work on.
0: I want to thank Dr. Ellen Hahn and Jean Rosenberg for coming into the studio today to talk about smoke-free policy in our local communities you've been listening to mountain talk monday and i've been your host kelly haywood and i would like to thank you the listener for listening
2: thank Thank you thank you you very much much for giving us this chance